Don't forget to follow My Warp Life on Instagram to hear when new things are coming and enter one of our monthly giveaways. That's right. You know, you can win yourself a t-shirt and a beanie, which I don't have yet, or even a bottle of Kevin Lyman's hot sauce, which I do have, and it's fantastic. So don't forget, if you have any questions for us or topics you want us to discuss, text us at 818-863-6445. And if you enjoy listening to the conversations with our guests, you can hear the full versions of all the interviews on our Patreon for only $5. We donate all the proceeds to our favorite charities, and you can cancel any time. We're partnering with our friends at Drink Weird. Drink Weird are the makers of Weird Tea and Weird Water. Weird Tea is delicious, organic tea full of antioxidants made without any preservatives. And Weird Water is fresh spring water sold in recyclable aluminum cans available in sparkling or flat. Do you want to win a free case of Weird Tea or Weird Water? All you gotta do is tell us your weirdest stories from the Warp Tour. What was the weirdest thing you did? Who was the weirdest artist you saw? Message us on Instagram at MyWarpLife and be sure to mention Drink Weird. The weirdest story will win a free case of Drink Weird. Also, if you want to support a good cause, use the code Kevin on drinkweird.com to donate 100% of the proceeds from your order to my foundation, Unite the United, where we create positive change in the industry by supporting local charities, producing events, and participating in community volunteerism events across America. Drink Weird! Hi, Tony. How are you? What's going on? I'm good. It's it's rainy, so what we get is... back in Tony's studio again. You're going out to a concert tonight. Yeah. They've now announced that you won't be, have to wear masks at school. And we're heading into this, uh, you know, the next phase of everything that's going on. You know, yeah. there's a lot going on in the world right now. And, uh, you know, this is going to be a little relief talking about some of the better times of how we handled the press on Warp Tour. I don't think a lot of people realize that my philosophy early on was like if you showed up with a library card and your school newspaper, you were the press to me. One of those things where a lot of people got their shot at writing their first story a on my tour. A lot of people tours. got free tickets to the Warp Tour, apparently. <laughs> that was later on. Of course, everything that was started out to be good was eventually taken advantage by some. Of course. So, But I always looked at it because a lot of people would come later on in life and say, you know, Kevin, it was really hard to write something negative about you or the tour because you gave me my first chance. This episode, we went and reconnected with a, a couple people who got their chance out on Warp Tour. And then one person, Lisa Johnson, who we're gonna feature in today's episode, has been with me a long time. I met Lisa when I was working in the clubs. I mean, she's very tiny and she'd be on this little crate and she'd be shooting right. photos and right in the midst of some of the hardest core punk rock shows. Did you allow access to like backstage for these folks that said they were press. We all know what the best rock and roll shots are. That is from sitting right underneath the artist while they're sweating all over you, screaming their lungs out. You know, that's the great shot that everybody loves. Lisa came from that, and we're gonna talk a little bit later about how Lisa helped to train younger photographers because we let them come around. We also would put up signs backstage, like, open press times, like bands could sign up and all these kids can come interview bands. So later on people would, I'd be doing interviews and they'd go, yeah, the first interview I did was at the Warp Tour and now they're writing for Rolling Stone or what? AP or stuff like that. We're gonna have Lisa Johnson on this episode who was also the photographer of mine and Fran's wedding um, back oh, in the day. awesome. As we are now uh, 29 years uh, together. Xavier, so. you have to show a picture from the wedding. We're gonna do that, put that in the oh, shot. Yeah. For all you kids out there in Radioland, go look at us, Spotify. The videos are up. And then we uh, had a great interview with Ashley Osborne, who was a young person who came out on Warp Tour, who's gone on to do great things. And I see your name all over all different kinds of projects now. Oh, really? And then uh, we got Mike Fishkin from Adobe Radio, who 
very interesting how this kid got on Warp Tour was it was an internet radio station, right? And I was nice. I'm like, he wanted to come out. They wanted to send someone out. They were always promoting the tour. They were great support. Right. Sure, send him out. But he shows up like with his stuff, and everyone's looking like, "Who are you?" He goes, "Oh, I'm going on the first week of Warp Tour. I was invited by Kevin." And they're looking at him going. So they put him on my bus. So it became kind of <laughs> You deal with him, Kevin. When he first came out, I'm like, he would sit on the bus so quiet and almost like so, he looked like he was scared. Like we'd have to, okay, you can go back. You can sleep on that spot. You know, it was just this really <laughs> timid kid. But he's grown up into being quite a, a leader and supporter of this music. He has a big following now. And then we're going to have a little bit about uh, Pep Williams, who I knew kind of going way back and how he's created quite a series of Prison tattoos. So to start off with Ashley, how did you first meet her? She got in somehow. I don't remember how I met her. I, I was a busy guy. I have no <laughs> idea how I met her, but you know what? I'm glad I reconnected with her. I wasn't allowed to go to Warp Tour. So I remember wanting to go to Warp Tour in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. So this would have been like 2001, 2002, 2003. And just like see, watching Fuse every summer in my friend, best friend's garage, like Good Charlotte, Fuse, My Camp, Fall Boy, everyone. And just wanting so desperately to be a part of the magic. And I was just like never allowed to go. I grew up in Minnesota. So I remember when Warp Tour was at like the Metrodome parking lot downtown Minneapolis. And I still wasn't allowed to go even then. And it tortured me. Like I remember being so angry at my mom because she wouldn't let me go to Warp Tour. And finally, um, you know, 2007, I was finally in high school. I was finally able to go to shows and I quit sports. And all I did was go to local shows in Minnesota. We had like Station 4 and Triple Rock and First Avenue and all these iconic venues there. I found that my culture was really like the kids in line. Like those are the people who really understood me. And I remember signing up for street teams for Field by Ramen and Fearless and Rise and Victory back in the day. And I would go early to shows and take photos of the people in line and hand out flyers and posters and stickers and promo materials to get into shows for free. And because I would do that, I was able to sneak my cameras into the shows, which was always really awesome. So I would always kind of want to be up in the front row so that I could take pictures with my cameras and, you know, just for me. I never really even knew kind of what a press pass was. And I remember finally learning about that right before I graduated high school. And I was at a Paramore show and this guy, Joe Lemke from Minneapolis was like, Hey, like, you know, if you want to do this one day, all you got to do is get a press pass. And like, this is how you do it. And he, he finally like took time to explain to me how the process works. And I was like, well, the first question I asked was like, have you ever shot work tour? Like, do you know how to get a press pass reward tour? Cause that was, you know, the number one goal on my list. And uh, I remember that summer in 2010, I had finally graduated high school, saved up my money, bought a like proper DSLR camera. It was like a $500 one. And all I wanted to do was shoot warp tour. So I was able to, I was like street teaming again that summer to get into a bunch of warp tour dates. And me and my friends like went on our own tour and like did a van with four of us and went to like Minneapolis, Milwaukee, Detroit, Chicago, and I think Kansas City. And I got to shoot like three of those dates for this like local web blog in Minneapolis. And uh it was literally the highlight of my life. And after that, I was I was that was kind of when I knew this is all I wanted to pursue. And um, it, was, it was like Lisa Johnson was on the tour, Adam Omakaius, Tom Falcone, 
um, I, I just remember seeing all these really young photographers and feeling like, well, if they're doing it, then I can do it too, even though I was a little bit younger and I was a female. You know, there was no women for me to look up to except for Lisa really back in the day as far as our warp Tour family went. Ashley said something that really struck a chord with me, and that was the kids in line. She said, those were my people, the kids in line. And I think that type of perspective to be a, a rock photographer, to understand what those kids are waiting for and anticipating and love, that's the kind of feeling I, I think it feels like to, you, to get the right shot. You know. Also, I always felt that the Warped Tour visuals of the people, the expression, just the look of them, were always great to photograph. The bands are one thing. You want to get all those great iconic rock shots. But the, yeah, some but of those... the coolest photos I've ever seen are the photos of the yeah. crowd, the yeah. crowd and the fans. They were always impressive to me. But then, you know, when Fish showed up on a tour bus, I didn't really understand about Fish. He's an interesting guy. He's a fun guy. <laughs> in 2014, um, that was around the time I started my show. I started it like late 2013. The show was going really good. And they were like, hey, we're doing this programming called Adobe Warped Radio. Would you want to go on Warped Tour for like five days and get the content for the whole summer for us? And I was like, uh, yeah, that's a no brainer. I would love to do that. So it was before I knew that like handheld Zoom recorders were really a thing. So I'm like... I have two laptops in my backpack and this 15-pound eight-channel board and four microphones walking across every parking lot trying to find um, an electrical outlet to plug this board into because it didn't take batteries. So luckily, the second year, I found out about the Zoom recorders. But um, luckily, Adobe Warp Radio went really well the first year in 2014, and we continued it on through the end of the tour. And it was like some of the coolest programming I was able to do and some of the coolest interviews and the first time I was able to do remote stuff like that, which was so cool. That was my first time like really doing anything like in person because um, at the time I was still living at my parents' house on Long Island. <laughs> so I wasn't really um, too familiar with doing in-person stuff. It was always like over the phone is whenever I would talk to bands or whatever. <laughs> I see what you mean. So there's some, as <laughs> there's some aspect to this of we're going to join Kevin's circus. Run away this with the circus. This is so much fun, man. These kids are like, okay, but I'm going to do this. This is serious, but this is what I love, and I'm going to join the fucking circus. Lisa worked in those club days, and it's been very interesting. I just finished a book. It was uh, Disco's Out, Murder's In, <laughs> and it pretty much described what the punk rock scene sure. of L.A. was right. during that early period That's when I was cool. working. When they said Murder's In, it was seriously. They were killing people. And... Um, I was sitting there and I, and I was reading the book and I realized that the only reason I probably wasn't beaten up or murdered maybe, because I had long hair, I had my Doc Martens, my cutoff overall, was because we were running the shows. I mean, these gangs were tough. A lot of them were dead, jail. The visual could have gotten me killed if I had shown up at a show. Not oh, that yeah. One. But it was um, interesting lucky, I guess. to think about <laughs> Lisa Johnson during this period was in there taking photographs. So tell me, you met her while working in the clubs? Yeah. When I think about that, we need to do an episode about you working in the clubs too. And <laughs> you've got so many stories that you're, you've told me that that you haven't told anybody else. But Lisa was there and she also, like I said, you know, photographed our, our wedding and everything. So naturally when Warped kicked off, she was right there from the beginning till the end. Sure. She did the most documentation of anyone over those years. When you started doing the Warped Tour, I, I know that, like, I'd known you for a while, and it was your first, like, venture really diving into this thing, this thing called punk rock, and doing it your own and not working for someone else. 
And I went to the first one and I was like, this is a cultural revolution and it must be documented as such. And I just started because I believed in it. And then you kept having Warped Tour. And kept going. Then we started this series of with the compilations that became quite famous. We would this, These would sell a half a million records a year. Every summer, like behind the scenes, nobody really knows what I'm doing. And I'm running around trying to capture like the ultimate rock shot that will be the cover of the next Warped Comp. This compilation we would sell for $5 for 50 songs, mm -hmm. a special release for Target. It was it was a big... 50 songs? Yeah, 50 songs for $5, and it was all the bands that were going to be on the a tour that summer. A man of the people. Nobody was doing 50 songs for $5. Yeah, and we would sell half a million of them, you know? And it was a really cool way for bands to get... You know, they were... It was struggling sometimes because we only had 50 songs. <laughs> And we had like 75 bands. Let's just put them all on there. So, I think you guys were lazy. Hey, why don't we only pick 12 good ones like a normal? Fuck it. Let's just put them all on there. <laughs> Lisa said it was like, you see these photographers and everything, and you're not realizing it. Like how hard they had to work too. Lisa used to work so hard to get the perfect shot. I remembered she used to stand on lunch boxes in the crowd. She stood on what? Lunch, lunch boxes? boxes sometimes. Oh, you mean like milk crates or something no, like that? lunch boxes. Back then, it was a, a lunch box. I had like a G.I. Joe lunch box, and then mm -hmm. I had a Super Friends lunch box, which now have like stiletto heel holes in them from me trying to stand in them up against a barricade, right against a speaker, because it was like the safest place to be. And uh, yeah, I, I uh, that's how I got started. I just loved music, and I thought I wanted to capture like what I was seeing through the lens. I wanted to remember that moment and share that moment. Fish had a limited time to be out there and he explains like how hard he was working out there. I made sure I made it to every barbecue because I was just so eager to meet everyone. Um, I remember the first night of Warped, I think my first date was Houston and there was a Target right over there and everyone's going to buy like sunblock, this, that, the other thing. Me, I bought some Oreos and a bottle of Jack and I was like, this is how I'm gonna meet everyone. So I remember the first barbecue, I went around just like introducing myself. I'm like, I'm Fish, you want a shot of Jack and an Oreo? <laughs> <laughs> what? I mean, it was easy because then all of a sudden they were lined up for interviews with him at the bus. It was like nonstop for the guy. He was so nervous because we'll let him travel with us. And he was witness to a lot of like He's meetings. He's kind of a nerdy fan. I like him. But but I see why they threw him on your bus first right away. <laughs> I mean, he grew on me. Trust me. I love Fish. He's great friends with Sierra and Sabrine. They go to his events now. It was hard. Like he was working really, really hard. And and the true emo he was, he let me in on a little secret. There were times I did take some cry breaks. I remember I was under the Equal Vision tent where my friend Aww. Andrew Cram, the only person yeah. I knew on the tour, I had met him the night before. He's a bus underneath me. I'm like, hey man, could you get me a new t-shirt? I forgot a t-shirt. And I just sat there in between interviews like, I don't know what to do. I don't have any deodorant or toothpaste. This is rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first time on the I road. I really would yeah. like to talk to you about rock and I really smell bad, but... I'm sorry, I'm not feeling very strong right now. That's horrible. That's horrible. That's no, also not cool. realizing he's a sweetheart. That, that he was not the only one that smelled bad. Like there was like No, everybody on Warp Tour smelled bad. The last yeah. time I went to the last Warp Tour up north, I just every it was a sea of bad smells. It was like old spice, bitches, let's go. Someone who really found a home there was Ashley, and she kind of describes that home she found. It's such an interesting culture on Warp Tour because you've got people from every part of the world. You've got every type of music. You've got every type of person. And I really just wanted to 
tread lightly, like being in that environment, not because I felt like I had to, but because it was just like, wow, these are my heroes. Like, this is crazy. Like that's Kevin Lyman riding around on his bike every morning. Like what the hell's going on? Like, you know, it was just very surreal. And I just wanted to make sure that I was very respectful and I really wanted to earn my spot. You know, I'm, I followed the tour long enough to know that like there were bands that would follow the tour all summer and like those bands would be given opportunities and chances and work tour always just felt like one of those communities where if you worked hard and you were a good person and you were respectful, people would give you opportunities and see that in you. And that was like my biggest priority going into it was I just wanted to be cautious. People didn't sometimes didn't realize, but I was observing all day long. I was watching the people that were starting to get it, that got it, you know, and, and there was people that didn't, you know, trust me, we did have to crack down and do more research on people because they were taking advantage of it to get free tickets and get backstage, which kind of, to be honest, fucked it up a little bit, you know, because it was a culture, but watching really that generation, I would say Ashley came in on that second generation of war people. They were really still very respectful of, of what we were doing out there. And the last thing they wanted to do was take advantage of it. Could they benefit from it? Absolutely. But they had to give back and respect everything about it sure. to move forward. And uh, we talked about how it was a grind. It was working. But I did ask these people, you know, did it pay off in the long run? And, and Lisa was the first one that told me about you know, if it did or not. I had already been shooting for a while, but I do remember the very first time I was in Rolling Stone magazine, and it was what? so exciting. It was when Mookie Blaylock became Pearl Jam, and they played at um, the Rock Candy up in Seattle, and I was lucky enough to be right up there, and I got a photo of it very early on, and it was it made it into Rolling Stone, and I was so excited. And there was a writer named Heidi Sigmund Kuda, who was um, a writer in L.A., but she was also on uh, the news. She was a newscaster, yeah, but she was a great writer and really involved in the punk rock scene. And then Lisa, with all these photographers, decided that they wanted to do a book. So Lisa approached me and Heidi approached me. And I, of course, like, yeah, let's do a book. Okay, so you're your co-author or? So I became a book publisher. Does that mean you have to put up all the money for all the printing? That's what a book publisher is. <laughs> well, this was after, what, seven years, which seems so, like, ridiculously unambitious because it's now, tw it was 20-something after the end. But so we thought, well, let's, let's document this. It's seven years of the tour. Like, wow. And um, so we came out with this one. And it's really fun because there's um, stories in here from you guys, like everybody that was on the crew and some of the artists. And it's just like a crazy hodgepodge to go through, you know, like all the photos. I really love some of those photographs because, you know, you have pictures of like Blink-182 when they were basically children or Gwen Stefani when she was 1995 on Warped wow. Tour. We have photographs of the, you know, the sports and, and music, but we told the tale through the people who were working on the tour. If you're interested in that book, we're gonna put the link in uh, the description. We also did another book and I was the publisher and we, uh, you know, it was, it was pretty awesome. And uh, Lisa did some pretty cool stuff for a book for Vans. They did a whole book and uh, there's a whole like a uh, warp Tour chapter and, and we've got uh, some stuff in here if I find it. Um, yeah, it's a lot of the stuff that you'll see kind of up on the wall, but this was a really cool book that Vans put out. It's all about their shoe, but there's this whole fantastic chapter and it's not just my photos. There's other photographers in here too, but a lot of the stuff that you see up there is in here. So fun. I would highly recommend if you can find this book, go get it. In the first few years, it was just starting up. She was there from the beginning. 
And obviously there were more photographers involved than just her. Did she have any extra special access than anybody else? Or what was the rule? She'd travel on the bus with me and, okay. and, and come on the road. You know, one of the things she did was later on, we had the entertain, the TEI, which was the Entertainment Institute. And it was something I did on the road because I wouldn't let the bands do VIP programs. I always said, you're out here working on your long-term career. I never believed in VIP programs because I think if you pay for a VIP, it changes the relationship. You're monetizing a handshake. I was like, go out and sign something now. Go hang out and meet kids. Go out there and do things. But the bands were trying to figure out, how do I make a little extra money? This is a standard now for a lot of bands. They have a system where they do a meet and greet after the yeah, show. Yeah, which I think's bullshit still I to this day. I think you're right. But I know how much money they make. So it's, about, it's a monetary relationship. I said... Meet the people for free now, sign something, make a personal thing. So we kind of came up with this hybrid that, okay, if you want to do something, educate people. So we had little things out there where the violin player in yellow card would give lessons backstage. <laughs> okay. Drummers would teach drum lessons. Wouldn't That's Diego cool. be stoked if like oh one of his favorite bands was playing and he got a drum yeah. lesson backstage? So Lisa was like, there's all these kids wanted to learn how to shoot concerts. Oh. So she ran a class. I didn't realize where you're going with this. She did this on Warp Tour. She taught pe people how to be rock photographers. How fucking cool is that? Money wasn't, you know, with everyone with digital. I mean, she's a hustler like all of us. She was trying to. So I said, Lisa, why don't you come out on the road? You can run this class each day. And you get to keep the money that you teach the class. And they would learn how to shoot in the pit, pit etiquette how to work in a barricade, how you take turns, letting people get the right angle on the shot. Uh, because a lot of kids just went out there and they started shooting. Oh, I've been in pits and seen photographers go fist to cuff. Yeah. Just, it's all about space and territory. So yeah. The whole reason we started the class kind of in the first place was there would be, you'd, you would want to give people the opportunity to uh, pursue their dreams and pursue their passions. And if somebody had come to you and said, I want to take photos, you'd kind of let them, but they didn't have any like structure so they'd get in there and they kind of didn't understand only the first three songs or they'd get in everybody's way so we kind of thought let's do this class to give them some sort of ground rules and etiquette like you wouldn't just throw a security guard in there without training right so much like a photographer they sort of need to you need to stay out of the way but get in the way <laughs> you know it was a great way for artists to make a little extra money but everyone a band when they play and all of a sudden there's a hundred people at their show or a crew member, you get hired by a band to go on the road with them after working on something. That aha moment. So for a band, it's, I heard my song on the radio for the first time. So for a photographer, what is it? And Lisa told me what hers was. It was unreal experience to be like in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and to see photos up on there. I mean, wow, you know, I couldn't believe it. I took an image from each year that sort of represented the tour, and they displayed those out on the walls. Get the fuck out of here. She's yeah. in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Yeah, so when, we, when they opened the exhibit, and they asked me something, we said, Lisa needs to be part of this, and she had a whole wall with her photographs. That's it was very, very cool. Shit. Something came up in our discussion that I didn't even know, and it's even something you're going to know, Tony. You're going to know this photograph that she's famous for designing. Oh. Paul T. had this vision, um, Paul Tolle from Golden Voice, had this vision to do this festival, like a Reading-type festival, a European-style festival. He was like, hey, can you, you know, come with me and we'll photograph this polo field? And so we get out there, and I was like, I was actually leaving for Europe, like, the next day or something. And so I was like, okay, but we've got to go, like, on this particular day, 
and we had to go super early in the morning. I think we left at like six or something crazy. So if you know, I'm not a morning person, so that was like <laughs> fun. So we get out there, and then we're standing there, and this is big empty field. There was nothing built there. It was big empty field, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this? And I turn around, and then I look, and I see those mountains, and I was like, ah, this is Coachella, like you know. And so I got that photo, came back, processed the film, got it to him like that night, got on a plane the next day. He did his thing. I think I ran into him at the Reading Festival and he had his little brochure with everything in it. It was very exciting. Um, and then it took a couple more years, but then he finally got, um, got Coachella started. And now look at it. You know, now that's iconic. Yeah, she took the mountain photo. That is, everyone knows, the mountains. And a little later on, they added the Ferris wheel. Paul T and me, we met her in the clubs. Right. Goes back that far. It's still funny. I see fish all the time now. And Does he live out here? Yeah, he lives in the valley. And he's, he still does his radio show. But he's become like a, a kind of a celebrity. He goes out and DJs at, at parties now. Really? Emo night. Fish is here. I hear like, oh, Fish is there holding court, you know? This was the kid that was standing there like nervous on my bus to even speak. And now he's like holding court in a VIP yeah, yeah, booth yeah, what and stuff. Was his, what was his show back in the day aired on? Was it Adobe radio? radio, which is a um, internet radio channel. And uh, his time on the road, I think, built a lot of confidence for him in the future. It meant the world to me that every band took the time to speak to me on the tour because I know uh, the first couple of years I was on it, no one really knew who I was or what Gone Fishkin was. So it was really cool to be able to talk to some of my favorite bands while also talking to some of the local bands and being able to walk the lines on Warped every morning and talk to fans asking them questions. Really, I look back on it, I'm like, damn, these were the best days of my life. That's cool. I don't want to say it's the best. He's got, you know, I always like to tell people the best days are ahead of you. Maybe not anymore for me, but when you're in your 20s, you know, it's like, no, you still have know, great days in front of you. I'm some of the things you. you got lined up. You got some pretty cool days coming up ahead of you. It's so cool for me to be able to catch up with Ashley. You know, I hadn't talked to her in years. So I asked Ashley, what was your big break? I found that like in our community, people were just overly helpful and so eager and willing to help anyone who just really cared and like wanted to be there, which is my favorite part about the Warped Tour community. You know, everyone was just like really supportive of anyone's creative endeavor, which was just so special. Like, I don't think I'll ever be able to find that outside of Warped Tour. Um, and then 2012, I met Craig Owens. And 2013, they were the first, uh, he was out with Chiodos and he and his manager, Bridget Wright, asked me if I wanted to come out for like a week of dates. And I did. And it, it was over from there. I was like, this is it. Like, I don't ever want to do anything else ever. It was literally the best day of my life. Like I remember getting into my bunk that night and our first show, my first show with them was Minnesota, which is where I grew up. So it was just absolutely insane. You know, I asked Ashley what she was up to now. I'm still shooting primarily music. Um, right now, I'm somehow on tour with 21 Pilots and I'm their photographer, which is absolutely insane. <laughs> like, I'll never understand how I am where I am. Um, and then I've just been focusing a lot on, um, you know, the pandemic, like, really shifted everything I think for everyone but the last two years I really focused on on pivoting it was kind of it felt like this very cosmic magical thing like I had gotten a job offer literally three weeks before we went into lockdown in 2020 to do like creative direction and consulting for a marketing agency and music so I did that for a little bit did a lot of creative direction got really burnt out by all the creative direction work and just realized like 
a lot of the last year has been me just trying to figure out what really truly makes me happy as a creative, as a woman, you know, I'm, I'm about to turn 30 in a few months and all the last 10 years of my life have been touring, traveling, taking photos. Like I haven't stopped moving. So I'm doing so well because I've just kind of slowed down a lot and I, I just have no complaints. I've, I spent so much time just trying to work as much as I can and move into other areas of, of my life. The opportunity that the Warp Tour provided for kids that didn't have a lot, you, you had a low ticket price, you had easy access. I, I heard story after story after story, and it's great, which makes me think, without that opportunity, where would she be now, sitting in Minnesota? But where is she now because she had it? She's working everywhere. She's all over the place. But here's the thing also. I hope that if anyone's out there listening, like from a label or a young, never discount the street teams. Never discount it. You know, a lot of times I think a lot of the labels aren't focusing on street teams like they used to. They feel that they can do everything on social media. This, Those street team kids are so loyal and so engaged in their communities. You never want to discount how much they can help brand those labels when you hear about the Fueled by Ramen and you hear. So if I was starting a, a label right now or if I was out there, doing, I would not discount the fact that having a street team and a lot of dis street teams were disbanded rightfully because of COVID, you couldn't go out to shows and everything. But I hope everyone's putting the effort into relaunching those street teams mm -hmm. because you just see the, you get the most passionate, loyal people in every community that believe in your brand. Speaking about brands, you know, Pep Williams has built quite a brand out there. Who's Pep Williams, Pep Kevin Williams, Lyman? Wait till you, you know, you learn more about Pep Williams. He was, you know, pretty hardcore skater. Um, he was a rarity, to be honest, within the scene. And I caught up with him on a few things. And, you know, he was a pro skater. All of a sudden, he started picking up a camera. And he did a phenomenal photo series on prison tattoos. But before we get into that, let's hear how Pep got into photography. I picked it up in 1996. I wish I had picked it up in 86. But, <laughs> but I picked it up in 96 randomly. I was doing a fashion show for this one designer because I did runway for about four years. This guy, like the designer I was uh, working with, was freaking out because the uh, photographer he hired went to another uh, for, like um, company that paid him more. So like he needed a photographer and it paid $6,000, I found out. So I said, I'm a photographer, right? And like, he's like, what? Look, whoa, we had no idea. Like, I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking you just look through the hole and press a button. Um, from that, uh, they said, all right, let's like see your portfolio. Let's see this. I said, we don't have time for that right now. We have to get this done. There's a deadline. And I thought, yes, yes, you're right. You're right. And they gave me the check. I went to Santa Monica College. They had a photography class there. And I put a flyer up looking for an assistant. Because on most larger shoots, the assistant does all the work anyway. So uh, the first person called, got the job. And then I just said, what do you think we need for this shoot? <laughs> and he took it out. He set it up. Done. And I was hooked. I knew Pep prior to Warp Tour. He was part of that whole scene of skate and punk and around all the time. I don't know if you've ever heard of the name Jay Adams, but Jay Adams was... Did you ever see the movie Dogtown Z-Boys? Yeah. Like it's based on like Jay Adams was like one of the big skaters in there. Right. And Jay, like you never knew which Jay you were going to get. Sometime you you would get a super 
nice Jay Adams, and then sometimes <laughs> you would get the other Jay Adams, which was a stone cold killer. You know, and then all of a sudden during our discussion, Pep goes, I started shooting Jay Adams a lot. And, you know, you have to go like, oh, wow, how'd you, you know, how'd, how did that go? Concrete Wave, Michael, he wanted yeah. me to shoot him. He wanted a cover, actually, like two covers. But this was right after, kind of after the Dogtown movie, and Jay didn't want to be bothered with anyone, you know, about the movie or anything. So I told him, I said, Mike, just uh, give me some money and, um, like, fly me out to, like, Hawaii, and I'll, I'll um, get it done. And, like, he's all, really? Because Jay doesn't want to see anyone. I'm all, dude, it's cool. I called Jay. He's all, Pep, come on out. Let's have a good time. So it really wasn't about taking photos. It was about us just hanging out. So I was there about, I'd say, a week, exactly a week. Like I slept on his floor. I was wrapped up in my blanket tight because of the centipedes running around, lizards and stuff out on the North Shore. (laughs) Yeah, he was living up on the North Shore at that point. Yeah. 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 So we were there. And then I actually shot him second to the last day because then it's like, all right, yeah, cool. Let's just take some pictures and just have, have a good time. And then Jay brought, brought out his camera. Then he's all, Pep, I can shoot you too. So I have pictures of him with his camera shooting. So it wasn't about a thing because when it becomes about a thing with Jay, he just shuts down. And it's like, like, like you guys are just trying to use me to make some money for this or that, but he's my friend first. So, so hung out, it was super chill. And seriously, I'd say that week I shot 30 minutes, 40 minutes. That's it. That's all I needed. I need nothing else. Within our music and scene, he, and just around that action sports world and everything. See, Jay was from that Venice Dogtown Z Boys, right. but was living at the on the North Shore, as Pep said. And I was doing shows, a lot of shows in Hawaii at that point. Right. And Jay would show up, like down in Honolulu, He'd come down from the North Shore. And once again, you never knew which Jay you were going to get. So I'd see him, and he we we knew each other enough where we were talking, and I'd hang out with him. But there was nights when he decided to fight the whole security staff. Like, you know, it was like, I'm not just going to fight one security staff. Why? Was he high? What the hell? And these guys were like the hooey. They were badass Hawaiians. Yeah. And he's going to fight them all. And there was one night I'll never forget in an alley where I had to kind of like bring them off. They were going to literally kill him. Like they, these guys were tired of him coming down and causing this trouble. But there was another side to Jay too. Like you'd have these great conversations. And I think he did feel that skateboarding was becoming commercial and exploiting some of these people. But uh, Pep um, brought up a a photo. He took a very iconic photo in our world. I knew Jay about 30 years. And when like this girl came over, um, she was sitting on the ground next to him and she was really upset because she had just uh, broken up with Neil Headings, (laughs) actually. So um, she was really bummed. And so Jay's talking to her, but he's talking to her like a father. And I've known Jay, hey, let's go skate, let's go, but he just became this like protector, this uh, nurturer, which I'd never really seen before. So I'm sitting about, I'd say maybe 10 feet away from him with the camera in my lap. And then the phone rings. And then he, like, she gets up and she goes and answers it. And Jay is just sitting there. 
and he's just thinking. And I always wonder what he was thinking about at that moment. So the camera's in my lap and I'm saying, please be in focus because I couldn't put it up to my head because if I did, he would have looked and it would have ruined it. But that is authentic right there. And um, for me, what, what I get from it is because he has kids um, and everything, maybe he was thinking about his kids or his life, or, but it's something very deep because it was complete silence. And she just walked away and I'm just sitting across from him. I'd say a good 20 second pause. And I only got up three shots. And that photo became known called the perfect storm. It was sad because, you know, we did lose Jay, his, demon, his demons did catch up with him. Uh, but you could tell there was a, a close bond with him. But then, you know, as Pep progressed in life, he realized that, you know, his photos do, you know, were doing really well, his tattoo photos. One of the most recent projects uh, for Pep Williams was a series called Behind Bars. And this is pretty recent, right? Yeah, it was, uh, it came out in 2020. Some of my work that sells a lot are like my tattoo works, like uh, really over in Asia. Like in Japan, um, Thailand, they really buy the bigger pieces of mine. And it's all kind of tattoo things. So I started thinking, where can I get the best real tattoos, that real <laughs> thing? So I thought, oh, a prison. Yeah. So let me pursue that. Because I like going after things that are really, really hard to get or what people think is almost impossible. And I wanted to shoot inside of a prison. And it took me four years to get permission. And then I remember like just letter after letter, email after email. No, 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 no. And then Dennis Martinez was a speaker for the prisons. So he's like, hey, Pep, uh, let's see. Let's see what we can do. And then he just made it happen. And. It was really cool. So that series was one of my favorites because I went in with an idea of what I wanted to shoot. But when I came out, I just completely changed my direction. Oh, actually, once I went in and I saw the guys, I changed my direction on my path and uh, what I wanted to do with this series. Like the first guy I walked up to, he had tattoos everywhere, just everywhere. And then I said, hey, uh, can I take your picture? Because like uh, they announced that I was there. So they knew I was there to take photos. So he's all sure. Hold on. He goes and he puts on a, on, on a sweatshirt. <laughs> and I'm like, why'd you do that? And he said, this is my past. And then I had to check myself. And I'm like, I came here to take from these guys. So then I said, I'm not that person. So then I turned it into a positive and I decided to shoot it more in like a positive light, just uh, because they're human. People tend to forget you're their inmate. And then with uh, Dennis Martinez, he, he was able to bring skateboards into the prison, never heard of before. And I shot some amazing, amazing, amazing pieces. And I have an exhibit um, at the museum, um, at the Autry which is actually a permanent um, exhibit. So it'll be there forever. Sometimes I go there and I listen um, to the conversations that they're having about my work and it's across the board. And it's really, really interesting from the specific pieces what people get from it. But the best are the kids, they love it. Because I think that if I could shoot something and, uh, and uh, portray it in a way where this kid 
who may have an uncle, a cousin, a brother who's locked up in prison, see, well, maybe it's not so bad in there. And they can leave feeling better than seeing just dark bars and toughness or whatever. No, these guys are smiles, having a good time dancing, dancing in prison. Come on. Having a, a permanent exhibit at the Gene Autry is a big deal. The Gene Autry Museum is in Los Angeles. Um, it's right near the LA Zoo. And I don't think I don't think that museum gets enough credit. So if you're ever in LA, I would highly recommend maybe taking an afternoon. And, oh, and the Autry Museum is never that crowded, really. It's, it's cool. a very cool place. So if you're visiting LA, put it on your list. Tony, what have you been listening to lately? What have I been listening to? You never asked me what I've been listening to. This is the one time I'm not prepared. I have been listening to... I know, this is so bad. It's not punk rock. This is old people music. This is in your... I'm so into this band. This dude out of Canada. His name is Alfie. And we've been listening to him for years, but he's always under the radar. The greatest music in the world. The name of the band is called Bahamas. Go listen to the... It's just chill. Get a glass of wine. It's, It's just really good music. I love the Bahamas, so that's that's how uncool I am. Oh wait, I was I, I, I was sleep, that, that put me to sleep. It was so good. <laughs> I'm so oh, sorry. I dozed off. Come it's on. really good. It was really, it's really good. Yes, I dozed off for a second. Sorry. It's been a long day. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. Your shit is badass. We love great. you. I had a call today, and it was great um, with an organization called Classy.org, making giving simple. Okay, they were just put purchased by GoFundMe. And they're uh, the nonprofit wing of uh, GoFundMe. It's called Classy.org. Maybe I can help instrument some platforms that artists can use very simply when they want to raise money on their tours for a charity, engaging their fan base. So, Oh, that's cool. We had a great opening conversation today. Uh, I'm going to see if I can rally up people like Dave Shapiro and Sound Talent Group and get a meeting. And maybe every band could have a simple way to raise money for their charities through our foundation, the Unite the United Foundation. It's so easy to use. It'll take 10 minutes for a band to set up if they want to raise money for their favorite charity. Thank you for everyone that joined us on this episode. I know there's a lot more people like Adam and people that I would like to have included in this episode. Uh, We'll hopefully have you in another episode later on. But thank you for everyone that joined us. It's always fun to do these interviews. And I have to say, like, getting to catch up with people like Ashley and find out where they were in their lives now, and it was fantastic. For all of those that were just listening and you're dying to see, go check us out on YouTube or Spotify video and you can see all these shots we're talking about yes follow us on instagram tiktok twitter and facebook to see my weekly cooking and gardening tips i gotta get on that again (laughs) if you want more my warped life content subscribe to our patreon a subscription is only five bucks and you can stop anytime you want and text us any topics you want to hear more about at 818-863-6445 that's 818-863-6445 and we want to thank uh, the producing staff, Xavier, Beata, Vivian, and the Tony. Game. And me, and, and take it away, kid. Diego, go!